Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Here at The Next Reel, we've been passionately discussing movies week after week since 2011. That's a lot of movies and a lot of conversation. Sure is, Pete. And to be honest, it's a lot of work, too. But it's work that we love. If you've been enjoying our show, we'd like to remind you that there are ways to support us, even if you're not able to become a member just yet. You might have heard us talk about our new watch page, where we've listed every movie that we've talked about paired with Amazon or Apple links to rent or buy the movie. Now we'd like to introduce you to our Originals page. Let's take a trip down memory lane, Andy. Do you remember what the first film we discussed on The Next Reel was that was an adaptation? Uh, well, let's see. It wasn't, obviously, our Indiana Jones series, because those were all original. Uh, then we did Charlie Kaufman. Uh, oh, of course, it was Adaptation uh, from Susan Orlean's Orchid Thief. Exactly. We have covered quite a few adaptations over the years, and now we're providing a way for our listeners to delve into the original source material. That's right. Just head over to thenextreel.com slash originals, and you can see the list of all the adaptations that we have discussed. From our David Fincher series, featuring The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, The Social Network, Zodiac, Benjamin Button, and Fight Club. To our Paranoia trilogy with The Parallax View and All the President's Men. We have covered a variety of adaptations. Those were some great discussions, especially Fight Club. And let's not forget our baseball series with The Natural and Field of Dreams, adapted from Shoeless Joe. And Up in the Air and Thank You for Smoking. So many memorable conversations. Absolutely. And you know what's exciting? Each purchase you make through our links doesn't cost you any extra, but a percentage goes to support the next reel in our family of shows. You can support us while diving deeper into these fantastic stories, whether it's the paper, audiobook, or Kindle version. We've also included plays and movies. If they were the source, we've put it on there. So what are you waiting for? Head to thenextreel.com slash originals, support the next reel, and get your next great read today. I'm off to reread Fight Club. Now, where did I put my Kindle? I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
in just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hello, second fiddle. That's what, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's all good. It's all good. What, uh, let's, uh, so when we first uh, jumped on the call, I was, uh, I was right in the middle of having my mind blown. It has been, so when this, when this show airs, we're a little ahead. And so when this show, this is our Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yes, happy right? 2012 to you. Almost. I, this is an, I can't remember. When is this going to go? When this are we, is go- what is this, today? Today is January. Um, Something. Third, fourth, fifth. Fifth. January. Today is Happy New Year. How's happy your, how's your first week of 2012 been? Busy. How, how will have your first week of 2012 have been? It, busy. <laughs> 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 we're uh we're going to be shooting a um on the uh, today on January 5th <laughs> 4th and 5th uh we'll be shooting uh, some interviews with a uh a former uh military general um uh, who's going to be the host of a TV show that we're working on with a Canadian company so we're we're getting um six episodes of the uh, the host shot those nice. two days that's outstanding. And, uh, yeah, it's, I think anytime you can get in work. bed with uh, with Canada, you're in good shape. Anytime, yeah, yeah, they do good work, know. Canadians. They do, they do. A, a. Uh, well, I, uh, you know, I was in the middle of having my mind blown because in the past, yeah, so many weeks ago, so now, many it's weeks old ago, news. the Dark Knight Rises trailer uh, hit yes. uh, this last week, and so did The Hobbit. Uh, the first full-length trailer of The Hobbit. And, and yeah, you haven't mentioned this one, but Prometheus. Oh, my goodness. I cannot believe I didn't mention it. This was a huge... This is going to be a... Uh, I can't it was even, a big It was a big week, those three weeks It was a big week ago. for trailers. And I, I actually have had them just uh, just in a rotating playlist. Mm-hmm. I, my mind has been so... Actually, I just saw the Dark Knight Rises trailer. And uh, I'll tell you, the football stadium blows me away. That was Does so cool. It doesn't. That's that's the one thing for me that that I I'm not 100 percent thrilled with, and it's only because I just have a hard time buying that the guy who's running doesn't realize that the entire ground behind him just disappeared. I don't know. That's just me. Well, it's because of all those years you spent on the gridiron. You know exactly. I know that there's a certain uh, sort of uh, preternatural awareness that you have as you're running, running for the touchdown. Yes, I, I know what I know what uh, can, shaking ground can, is like. 
Maybe he just thought that was the what his ego was doing to the ground. I uh, as the weight of his ego. I was. I just thought uh, it was. It was a very cool uh, effect and a cool choice. And his. Yeah, you're right. The the surprise as he turned around at the end was a bit of a gimmick. But I. Uh, but man, the trailer looks great. I cannot. Uh, uh, Alfred's speech in the beginning. Yeah. I was. I I had a tear. I had a tear. It's a, it's a great trailer and oh, it's, um, a great trailer. it's interesting how obviously they wrote the script for it you know years ago year a couple years who knows um, and they've been working on it for quite a while but oddly it felt very tied into everything going on right now with like the the Occupy Wall Street protesters and everything you know um, Selena Kyle's little tiny um, speech that she has to Bruce Wayne about you know, you all, all you people sitting up here with your money or whatever she says. I was like, oh, that just seems timed. So, you know, it really was. And I think strangely, it, it's even, I think it's even uh, more impactful uh, that real life events would sort of punctuate this, this film because it really punctuates the entire series because this is a, this was a theme. The sort of have and have nots has been a theme since the first of the trilogy. Yeah. And uh, and I think they've, you know, back when it wasn't as big of a deal and now it's, you know, it's sort of leading the charge. I was, it's fascinating. It was really well done. My understanding, um, I don't, I think there may be one shot in the trailer, but my understanding is that um, there's even some flashback scenes to back when he was training with Liam Neeson um, as, you know, before he was revealed as Ra's al Ghul mm-hmm. uh, back in China. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a really good one. I'm excited about that one. All right. And so uh, Prometheus. What's your uh, what's your take on Prometheus? I am. Um, the trailer is really intriguing. It really is a teaser. I mean, it truly it, it's not as tease as much a tease as some teasers are, but it certainly doesn't give you a whole lot. It made me very excited to see the film, but I still feel like I don't fully comprehend what the story itself is. That is my challenge too. And I really, I mean, I'm with you. I'm really excited about this film, but I, you know, I've read these sort of conflicting reports. Do you know, like how is this supposed to be in, some way tied into uh, alien past work, or is this a complete standalone? My, no, it's it's tied into the universe. Um, I am not very clear if it actually has aliens in it. I I don't think so. I think it's the universe that those people live in, and I think we're going to see the the ship that um, in alien Ripley and her team, you know, the one that they go into and explore and where they first find the eggs and the face hugger. Yeah. Um, there's that great big, you know, person being whatever it is, who's kind of dead in that chair. And I think that there, it's more along that timeline. Okay. So. Wow. Yeah. I, uh, I'm, yeah, I, that's one I'm very excited about. I mean, you could just feel it. Uh, when that when that trailer opens up and you see those ships, yeah, they're such Ridley Scott production design. You know, I mean, it's like you could tell he's 
he's got his hands in everything. Yeah, he really uh, does. It is beautifully done. Uh, it's well, a really fantastic cast in that one too. Yeah, right. I'm, uh, people that you haven't heard enough of getting some pretty big roles, other than Charlize Theron, who's been everywhere. But yeah, but it's uh, got Numi, Numi Rapace, Rapace. Uh, yeah, I'm not quite sure how you say her last name, but you know, from the original Swedish version of the girl with the dragon tattoo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Patrick Wilson, Michael Fassbender, who's like in everything right now. Yeah, all of a sudden. Pat- yeah, Patrick Wilson, uh, Idris Elba, Guy Pearce. Who's fantastic. I think it's Idris. Idris Elba. Idris. Is it Idris? I, so I said it wrong both ways. I think, awesome. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> and uh, uh, he's, uh, boy, yeah, I'm, I like that guy. Yeah, he's the captain. So I, I'm really excited about that. Um, I'm going to have to watch the trailer a couple more times to see if I can figure out what's going on with it. But Yeah. Did you, uh, uh, did you, uh, did you get through all of the wire? You a wire fan? I didn't Speaking get through. I, I enjoy the wire. I've only um, watched part of the first season, so I have quite a ways to go. Yeah. I it was one of those ones where I, I rented it and um, I got a bad disc. And, oh, and that uh, sort of sets you I, all up for nothing. And then I was yeah. just like, and then all of a sudden, other discs from other things started arriving, and yeah. I just kind of was like, oh, oops, oh well. Yeah, you mess up. Well, he was he was uh, Idris was Stringer Bell in that uh, in the wire, and that was. Uh, He's been in a ton of stuff, uh, and that's still the one that I really remember. So that's yeah. So that was uh, that's Prometheus. And what was the third one that hit? Oh, uh, 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 oh Hobbit, Hobbit, the Hobbit. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Now talk Dark. about talk about it. Like I mean, I don't think they called it a trailer. I think that they. Um, I can't remember what they listed it as, but I watched it. I'm like, this is not, this is the full trailer. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like two and a half minutes. Is, I mean, it's a full feature yeah, it's trailer. A full, it's a full trailer. I mean, you get a lot of uh, dwarf um, song about the Misty Mountains, but talk about just setting up the world and the story. And, you know, you get Frodo, you get Bilbo um, from, you know, their time in the Lord of the Rings days. And then you jump back and, my goodness, that just is. Uh, that was an early Christmas present getting that oh, one. Absolutely, I. You know, we were talking about it at the, at the old uh, family uh, hearth, and uh, uh, because you know it was it was one I I have read my daughter. You know, she's nine, and I read her The Hobbit and read her uh, Fellowship of the Ring, and we are yeah. in the middle of the Two Towers. Oh, fantastic! And you know, her take on it once she sort of saw it was wow. You can really tell that they are trying to match tone with, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings, because the movie or the book, The Hobbit, mm-hmm. seemed like kind of a happy bedtime story compared to Lord of the Rings, and this does not look like a happy bedtime story. No, no, it does not. Uh, so it's they, yeah. it looks like they've done a really good job trying to build this as a as a universe. Well, they've really extended the story because, I mean, The Hobbit was a fairly small book. It was very short, yeah. And they've expanded this to two films. Yeah. That's right, two films. This is going to be a significant uh, thing. But they're coming out uh, pretty close together, right? Just 2012, 2013. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're shooting it the same way they shot the uh, the first trilogy. I just read this. Did you know Evangeline Lilly is in it? I didn't know that. Yeah, that's very exciting. That's that's really great. I oh, 
I've got I've got a crush. That's gonna be good. It's oh, gonna be man. good. All right. Well, so that was two weeks ago. Yes. Uh, let's now, talk about the here and now. Let's talk about the here and now. So here's our. This is our Happy New Year uh, celebration film. Yes. I... This is this is a big surprise. Nobody knows what we're about to talk about. <laughs> I think I think they might. Didn't oh, didn't day. we mention this last week? <laughs> I don't think we did. I didn't we leave it as a surprise? Oh, I don't. I don't know. Maybe we did. I I don't know. Uh, well, this is a uh, uh, 1989 uh, Rob Reiner. Uh, when Harry Met Sally. Yes. This was your, I think this was your big brainiac idea. Why did you want to do this movie? It's a new, uh, we were trying to think of New Year's films. And uh, for some reason, this film to me seems the uh, perennial New Year's classic, if there is such a thing. The, um, you know, the, the end scene of this film is just, to me, um, has always has uh anytime i think of new year's i think of that scene when uh when harry and sally finally get together um and it's just as i mean i was still just as as caught up with that whole ending as ever i mean it's just it's fantastic writing and performances just beautifully done all around there's there's so much about this movie that that uh that I want to talk about. And it was, and you know, I look at my pages of notes as I was watching it. We all, this is the first time that I've sat down with a movie that, that the rest of my family would like to watch with me for this show. Nobody else wants to sit through. Me too. (laughs) I don't know what that says. Maybe that's why nobody wants to uh, listen to all the deep shows. You know, we have, we have some diehard fans so far, three of them. And they (laughs) listen, they want to listen to the same shows. Thank you. (laughs) Of the, uh, of of this, the, they're into the movies we are, but no one will want to watch these movies with us if you've never seen them. This one they do, and and I think it. I I was really moved by what a talkie this movie is. I had forgot it's probably been, oh man, I I want to say probably eight ten years since I've seen it. I, I, I sort of want to start with the script. Uh, because there's there there's some story behind the script that I didn't get. I didn't yeah. didn't know how it came together. I didn't either. It was actually quite interesting to learn about. Um, Nora Ephron, of course, uh, wrote the script, and she's, of course, since gone on to, you know, write and direct many, you know, great and not so great films, uh, like Sleepless in Seattle. That was on the great side. Oh, totally uh, agree. Totally agree. And and you know, okay, this isn't a Sleepless in Seattle thing, but I think what she what she she has a gift for this kind of of film and when she stays true to that form she does very very well yes yes um yeah so you know she and rob reiner and and um what's his name andrew scheinman i guess we're all buddies and they were all meeting to talk about a project and this was 84 actually so this was uh quite a while before the movie actually got made they uh, were sitting down talking about a project, and Rob Reiner had just gone through a divorce with from uh, Penny Marshall, which I didn't realize that he was and that he was married to her, or that they divorced. That both, I didn't know mm. that they had ever been together. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he and Andrew were kind of trying to live the life of single guys, and they were just kind of chatting with Nor about this, and they uh, somehow struck on the idea of actually making a film about you know the the struggle of trying to get in, you know, trying to find love and, you know, the battle between men and women and how men are always trying to figure women out and women are always trying to figure men out. But, you know, it's always a battle trying to actually 
figure the other sex out. Right. Uh, they, um, and the conversation, uh, the way the conversations evolved, it, it sounds like uh, Efren took those initial meetings to interview Reiner and developed this character of Harry based on Reiner and his experience. Yeah, in fact, so much so that, um, you know, I was, uh, the DVD had a kind of an old um, documentary with it about the making of, and, and uh, um, Billy Crystal said that when he came on to actually act the part, he had to, at a you know a couple times, he actually had to say to Rob Reiner, Rob, you have to let go of it now. I'm going to play Harry now, and I'm going to, you know, I, I know where you're going with this, but I need to be this guy now. I, I, I can you imagine? Uh, I don't know what what's the word. Can you imagine directing yourself like yeah, that? Yeah, it's. I know, I know. Charlie Kaufman can. <laughs> yeah, seriously, he he sort of buries himself in the part. And there's an interesting that that makes this film sort of an interesting parallel to adaptation. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when you sort of open the book. Um, in this way. And I didn't, I didn't know that. And it sort of opened my eyes to this, to the, to the process. You, you, I originally had looked at adaptation as sort of a standalone. Um, but when you see something as, as I, you know, I want to say mainstream, but as, as much of a, a romantic cult classic as Harry and Sally, um, it really is the same thing. Now it, it, it sort of to embrace and extend the theme, not only was Harry written, uh, you know, around, um, uh, around Rob Reiner, who directed the film, but Sally ended up being written around Nora Ephron. Yeah, uh, a lot of her idiosyncrasies and quirks, right? And so, so here we are. The you know they they essentially wrote their own um, sort of psychological uh, profile pick. Yeah, yeah. Um, movie Which would have been really interesting if they ended up like falling in love and marrying after this, but they. They didn't. That, that really would have that would have made a better a better story. Like pre counseling, exactly, an even better story. Uh, the format and form of the film, um, there, there's so it, it really is just scene after static scene of dialogue moving the part of the plot forward, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's and it's even less of a plot than a framework for a discussion about men and women that you uncover, but there are rarely more than three people in a given scene it makes up uh you know you you end even from the very beginning right when you uh, they they open with the relationship and i know you want to talk about the the uh, old people bits yes but the very first scene is you know harry and sally in the car and can we say dotson there is a dotson in this car <laughs> in this scene i love that that was great and uh and harry's girlfriend uh, and yes. so it makes that that perfect sort of um uh, dramatic trio in the in the the first scene, and it just feels like it would be staged so well as a play. And I know it has since been made a play, but it really was written originally as a film, right? Um, yeah. Well, I think to a certain extent that that ends up being the nature of um, this sort of comedy, um, you know, kind of the the romantic comedy. Um, yes, but I mean, you know, kind of just a dialogue heavy comedy where it, it really kind of feels almost um, Woody Allen-esque, you know? It's just, you know, a neurotic man trying to um, deal with love, you know? And so it has a very Woody Allen feel to the flow and to the style. It's it, Rob Reiner even talks about it. You know, Barry Sonnenfeld was the uh, director of photography, and, I you know, 
if there's ever somebody in the uh, canon of filmmaking who was the person that um, did something in a film that actually caught my eye and made me realize that um, the camera could kind of be alive and be involved in the scenes, it was it was Barry Sonnenfeld's camera work. Tell me, tell me why. Give me some examples from uh, from this film. Well, not from this film, from previous films that he had done. Um, in particular, and I know this is going to be the strangest example to give as something that that will always end up, you know, sticking in my head as as a film that uh, brought me into um, or out of film watching and into kind of like mentally thinking about filmmaking. Um, was um, three o'clock high. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not going to say it was a great film, but I certainly loved it. And I, I haven't seen it in, I don't even know when the last time I saw that movie was, but um, there was something about the way that the camera moved in that film that just made me want to go make a movie. It was just alive and it did so much in the movie to bring it to life. That was a, that was a fascinating movie. I don't remember, honestly, I don't remember much about it other than the fact that Tangerine Dream did the music. Right. Yeah. And I apparently was a big Tangerine Dream fan. I actually have a bunch of Tangerine Dream albums. Oh, I see. You have the, uh, the legend soundtrack that they, please don't even uh, open the, that don't open the old wounds. (laughs) so um but anyway so barry sonnenfeld though um he was the dp on this and he's he's done a lot of great films including these kind of romantic comedies but rob reiner is a big believer that in films like this the camera needs to not be doing that it needs to sit back and just essentially kind of observe and and let things happen and you don't notice it in the film Um, but there's a lot of really long takes where it's just like a one take shot that goes on and on and on that for like a couple minutes that they would do that, um, really allowed the actors to just act the scenes and build the comedy. You you know, I don't even know that you don't, I, I think you're probably right that you, you don't notice when you're, when you're watching the film, but when you sit back and, and sort of start pulling it apart. Um, you know, the first, the first stop where Harry and Sally stop at the first diner, uh, mm-hmm. there is, I, I, it's, you know, I, I think close to a minute when, from the point they, where they walk into the door and they have this long sort of, uh, Sally has a long reaction shot to Harry as he walks out of frame and sits down at a, at a booth. And from there on, after that first, that first cut, when she was, you know, kind of, regains composure and joins him at the table it becomes a very simple sort of three angle setup and most of the the set if it's not cutting back from a and b on their position it's as if the entire scene has been just cut in half and you're just sort of watching a diorama uh that they may as well be you know that the table they're sitting at may as well be you know sort of invisibly breaking the fourth wall and you could be sitting at it yeah. Uh it is you know the close up shots are so intimate and the 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 framing of the of the two shots are always just so perfect and the parallel between the the first diner and the second diner 
during the uh, orgasm scene is, uh, you know, practically point for point. Yeah. It, it's uh, it's really beautiful. I mean, it really is like looking into a in a hole in a shoebox, and there's yeah, some, and, and, something going on in this world. And it, and he continues that later when it's um, Sally with her um, her two friends. Actually, I think this is before the orgasm scene. It's it's with her two friends sitting out on the patio, right? Sitting out yeah. on the patio. She had just broken up with Joe. And it's, yeah, the camera work is so simple. It's like you've got a shot of, of the girl on her left, a shot of the girl on her right, a shot of Sally, a three shot. And the great thing is that that shot cuts immediately to the football scene where you've got Harry and his buddy sitting there at the football game watching. And it's the camera setups are exactly the same. Exactly you've got the camera the on the same. left, camera on the right, camera in front of them. And it's just it's it's such a simple way to let the story just unfold in a way where it looks great. You don't have to worry about it, and it lets the story just be there for you. It really does. It really does. Yeah. It's that that's that sense of simplicity is is uh, is everywhere. Um, well, and it takes you know somebody like uh, Barry Sonnenfeld. It really. Um, speaks highly of him as a director of photography, letting like working in such a simplistic manner that really you know lets the story be told the way it needs to be told, and not trying to force things onto the story that aren't necessary for the story. Yeah, you know that that was actually going to be my comment because you, I, I mean, your first comment on Barry Sonnenfeld is that here's a guy who knows how to make the camera come alive, and this is a movie in which, really, he had to show uncharacteristic restraint. Yeah. Your comment. It, it's it, exactly <laughs> no. That's exactly it. You go, Barry Sonnenfeld. I don't know. I don't know what I was expecting <laughs> there. I maybe nothing. But but here's the thing about that though <laughs> that I will say. I, I had to let it build. Okay. All right. <laughs> I did have a comment. Um, even though it's very simplistic, it still is very creative. The way that he uses the simplicity. For example, in the football scene where you've got the left shot of of. Uh, Bruno Kirby as Jess. You've got the right shot of uh, Billy Crystal. You've got the two shot of them. And then with all of that, with their conversation going on about how, you know, he's he's getting a divorce from Helen and all this stuff. I mean, it's a horrible conversation about a breakup, right? And then you have the wave coming by out in the in the football stands. Mm -hmm. And every time the wave comes by, the camera cuts to the two shot. You see them and they stand up. The camera lifts up with them. They do the wave. The camera comes back down with them. And then it immediately jumps right back into the uh, to the cutting back and forth. Even though it's very simplistic, the camera really still helps the humor build the way that it needs to build. I think that in in very large part is, uh, you know, as a result of the partnership with Robert Layton, uh, who was the the editor on this one, and and you have to, um, you know, I think that that goes specifically to pacing. Yeah. Um, the the way this film is paced and the way every single line is delivered, I think, uh, I think in particular one of the one of the, uh, gosh, one of the most sort of touching 
exchanges between Harry and Sally is in the museum toward the end. It's the it's the Parpakash scene, right? Yeah. Um, the legendary pepper on the Parpakash. And uh, it's one of those very simple sort of, you know, A-B setups again, and they cut back and forth, then they stroll a little on a wide shot, and they cut back and forth, and they stroll a little on the wide shot. And there is this, there is this moment where she, you know, she says, oh, Harry, you know, she has this moment. She says she can't because she's going on on a date. And right, I mean, it's just the perfect sort of comma, not even, it's, it's an ellipsis as you see his face and it cuts to a wide shot and he goes out and starts talking about this piece of art again. And it, it's one of those that just, it's a beat that, that hits me every time. It's like somebody has just strummed the E string in my heart. You know, I mean, it's just perfect yeah. uh, uh, every time. And, you know, Leighton is a, is a, a long time collaborator uh, with Rob Reiner and, and uh, you know, has, the other movies that he's done uh, have largely been far more complex. I mean, you know, Few Good Men and American President, Ghost of Mississippi. I mean, they're uh, far more complex films. And uh, and again, that restraint, uh, I, I think, really, uh, you know, let this, this film shine. Yeah, that's true. Princess it's, Bride. It's... Princess Bride. Are you kidding? What a fantastic all... example. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, it's all about knowing the story that you're working with and being able to use the tools you have to tell the story the proper way that it needs to be told. Yeah. And so, I think it speaks highly for, for uh, not just both of them, but for Rob Reiner as well. I mean, it, it really does. They really knew how to make this movie the way it needed to be made. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I it's it, this... I think it gets to you know one of the things we've talked about before, which is the whole concept of of these these sort of uh, uh, teams of creative people that work together uh, again and again and again, and they come to each other to develop these projects. I mean, that's uh, that they they've got a, a really um, special mix on these films. And speaking of teams, another thing that um, really I think was brought to the table in this film was Mark Shaman, who uh, did sure. all of the, uh, the music um, for the film. I mean, this, this film is notorious. Uh, I don't know if notorious is the right word, um, but it's, it's become well-known because this is where, essentially, Harry Connick Jr. was discovered. Yes. I mean, he's like 20 years old, I think, when, they, when he did all the music for this, and he won a Grammy because of uh, his performance in it. Um, but he worked with Mark Shaman, who did all of the arranging of all of the, the, uh, the, the great old tunes that they use throughout this film, all the great standards and some like kind of, um, standards that you don't hear quite as much, uh, but still fantastic in their own right. Um, but through, through this film, this was the first time that Rob Reiner worked with Mark Shaman and... Every film he's done since has been with him. Yeah, you just you just know, and Mark Shaman is is a terrific talent. Um, the the soundtrack for this film was, boy, I, you know, if you could wear out a CD, I certainly did it. Yeah, well, uh, this I mean, yeah, just fantastic music in this film. Yeah, fantastic. I, you know, I was thinking about it last night as I was uh, 
you know, it was unfortunately that, that unfortunately I was actually watching this movie with my wife because, um, you know, I mean, she married me and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I like to she, think she's your Sally. Well, I guess. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, the, the problem is that I, I used most of my best material to, to get her to marry me. <laughs> and and what I didn't realize was 90% of my best material I had pulled right from this movie. Like line after line that I had used on her. <laughs> uh I they were some of Harry and uh and Jess's, you know, great wit that right. I just said <laughs> so funny. I'm like this movie is unbelievably quotable. Yeah, I mean, literally, we could probably sit here for for twenty minutes and just you know rattle off line, uh, take turns rattling lines off. I mean, there's just so many great lines. Baby fish mouth. Baby, baby fish. fish. Oh, because baby fish mouth is sweeping the nation. <laughs> Tell me the story of your life. Tell me the story of your life. That line, Harry's first line in the in the Dotson, has kicked off most of my significant relationships. Over the last twenty years, I kid wow. you not, including my wife's. That's fantastic. Chinese food, Beaverton, Oregon. The I don't even remember the name, but I did ask her, in fact, to tell me the story of her life. Well, my life it hasn't even begun yet. She says to me, she didn't even know she was quoting, and she practically did. That's awesome. You see what I did? I said I would let a lie, and I did. <laughs> it's already out there. These are, I mean, these are like part of the cultural fabric now. People don't even know it's already out there. Yeah, pe- it's you know, people quote it without realizing that they're quoting it. It's become that uh, quotable of a film where it just, you know, it's in our blood now to say lines from this film. Donde está Wallace at Theodore? <laughs> Oh man. Uh okay, so like let's talk about locations. Can we talk about locations? Yes, let's talk locations. So, it was all filmed uh on location in uh in New York City, right? It was indeed. Chicago, Chicago and New York. It was indeed. I uh I read an interesting commentary and I want your opinion of it. As a filmmaker. Mm. Uh so the the concept is that the locations you know the, the locations you got to admit the locations are stunning uh you know the colors are so vibrant i mean whenever you're having whenever harry and sally are having a rich uh you know confused conversation about the nature of love uh, they're walking through Central Park and they're beautiful orange leaves, you know, blowing, uh, you know, the leaves of the Northeast are blowing around their feet and they're, you know, they're having this conversation and or they're, you know, they're in this fabulous old building or in their, you know, wherever they are, they're in these great iconic locations. Um, uh, so the, the concept is that these locations serve uh, as sort of... Um, mile markers to their own uh, lack of awareness, their sort of ignorance. Like, look at how these characters are having this conversation that they are so unaware of their own feelings, uh, they they don't see what's right in front of their face. Yeah. Does that make sense to you? I think so. 
I think so. I mean, it's it's a you mean just like it's a world they're inhabiting without realizing what they're inhabiting yeah, because that... they're so entwined in their own their own stories they're telling at the moment. Exactly, and it seems like when they are most present with them with themselves or in these spaces where they're you know sort of most closed off and confined they're you know kind of on the airport um you know people mover uh uh but but when they are sort of most vulnerable is when they're in this space that is you know uncharacteristically gorgeous yeah i find that really interesting and and you sort of watch as their awareness and their sort of awakenings as people occur uh and they they sort of come to terms uh with their environment and it's interesting then that it ends in the one environment that has been consistent uh throughout the entire film which is the couch yes which i think is just a um are you there yeah no i'm here can you hear me Oh, yeah, all, all the sound just dropped away. That was a little weird. So, so um, let's talk, tell tell me about the uh, about the couples. What do you think? You know, about the I couples? until I started researching about for this uh, movie, I have always been under the impression that these were real couples. Let us put that to bed right now. Yeah, they're not. Their Does that stories, did that break your heart a little bit? It really did. I was like, oh man, that just. I mean, I love that they at least still feel like real couple couples, and and to their credit, they really wanted to feel to have real couples in this film. The problem with real couples telling their stories is they meander and they go off on tangents and they stumble. You know, they they're not actors. They don't tell the stories as well as they could. And so what they did is they got all these real couples to tell their stories. Um, and it was like, you know, some of their parents, their friends' parents. It was just like a lot of people they knew and stuff. Yeah. These couples told their stories, and then they really kind of cleaned them up and uh, had these wonderful uh, old actors come in and and act them all out, basically. It does break my heart a little tiny bit that they're not real people. Um, but... The fact that there's still real stories, still, I think there's still some magic there. I do too. That didn't. That you know, I, I, I was sort of happy to have that, but because they didn't, they felt so perfectly scripted. How I, I, you know, I remember thinking about this thing. Like, they must have burned through real after real a film trying to capture these couples. Yeah. Uh, so that was they probably did anyway using the actors, but. Uh, but really, I mean, it's a, it's it's good. They, um, I think the use of the couples was really strong. The the idea of it for a love story and just how people, I mean, these these little vignettes, I guess we'll call them, of these real couples, all of whom are seniors, are just you know beautiful little love stories about how they kind of met and found the their true love essentially, and how. Um, how you you learn how it's always it's never as clean and simple as you know you would think it to be it's always kind of messy and maybe you're with the wrong person and before you meet the right person um or you know you're you're kind of suspicious if it's really going to actually work out and then 50 years later you're still together 
um, it's it's a really beautiful way to say, you know, love is kind of a messy thing. But, um, you know, you find that person and uh, once you realize they're the one, then you're set. Yes, it is. And, and it was, I, I think it's so funny how these how these couples illustrate or I guess are illustrated by what goes on immediately after, particularly in the middle of the film, when uh, when right after Harry uh, is dealing with his major loss and you end up watching these watching Harry and Sally, she's in uh, in her jazzercise or dance aerobics, whatever tap or size class crazy class and <laughs> whatever it was they were doing back in the he's 80s. he's throwing cards into a bowl in that giant apartment right and uh again another gorgeous location i mean they live in incredible places in new york yeah uh, yeah and right. and yet are stuck in that that sort of point of ignorance i think you're i think you're right what do you, i i um i made a note here about about breslin uh and i guess i just thought it was funny um, uh, you know, when, uh, Jess is talking about, and don't let me forget, cause I want to talk about Casablanca too. Mm. Uh, but when Jess, they're at the, they're at dinner, that brilliant dinner where Harry and Sally are introducing, um, oh, what is Carrie Fisher's character? Uh, Marie, Marie, Jess and Marie, they, they think they're going to introduce Jess and Marie to Harry and Sally to each other, um, you know, and set them up on a, on a date. Yes. And it doesn't work. Jess and Marie end up falling in love with each other. But halfway through the, uh, through their dinner, he's he starts talking about Jimmy Breslin, and how Jimmy Breslin is his is his idol as a writer. And and what I find interesting is that both Jess and Marie work for New York Magazine. Did uh, Marie work for New York Magazine? Yeah, there's a scene in there where he says, "Oh, you know, Marie also writes for New York Magazine." And he says, "Ah, no, no it was Sally." He says, "Sally also writes for uh, writes for magazine." New York Magazine. And oh no, why, you're right. Okay, that's okay, why okay. he reacts that way. Oh, you're right. You're right. That was that. That was that thing. Well, and then she ends up. Marie ends up quoting back to her, and she, he's trying to talk to Sally about Jimmy Breslin, and says, "Oh, Jimmy Breslin's my absolute, you know, hero." Right. And it was in in May of 1990 uh, that uh, Breslin got in trouble for being just that. You remember this? That horror. He's just a horrible, sexist, racist, just a horrible guy horrible guy and it was like right after this film came out that it comes oh, so that it, that he throws a fit at one of the korean uh, uh writers uh for the newsday and uh, calls her in public some horrifically uh sexist racist uh comments in in the newsroom gets picked up everywhere uh guy gets suspended immediately and it's i i just i you know i have to I just had yeah, to, to imagine that was just months after this movie came out as he's saying, oh, no, he's I, I don't know if that makes it funnier or not. It, I, I found it amusing <laughs> now. I actually had to go back uh, and look up, uh, look up Breslin. Uh, that was, yeah, that, yeah, that was uh, that any was of those people days. who throw one of those tantrums, you know, it just uh, it never bodes well. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, like, you, you got to curb that a little bit, buddy. So uh, one of the uh, one of the scenes that I thought was really interesting, and this was part of the part of the background, was that uh, uh, when Rob Reiner was getting a divorce, he and 
Billy Crystal, would get on the phone uh, together at night and they would watch the same movie on TV, mm-hmm. uh, which was, uh, you know, directly picked up for the film as, as Harry and Sally would call each other and watch Casablanca. Yeah, another little moment that uh, Nora Ephron stole out of their lives. She's just a thief. She is. It was, it was, what did you think of that scene? I mean, just talk, as we were talking about simplicity. It's, you know, it, the thing about this film is all of those moments capture so perfectly moments that we all live. You know, I, I've done the same thing where I've been watching a show with a buddy, you know, back in college or high school or whenever it was. Um, and we'd be watching the same show and uh, just talking on the phone about it. And, you know, I mean, it's it happens all the time. It's it's just one of those moments that is captured in just the right way where it really um, lends a lot more to the um, just the truth of it, I guess. You know, yeah. there's there's loneliness to it, but there's also um, this this uh, connection there that uh, I don't know. I just, I really love those scenes in this film. I don't and I love that they do them split screen where it, it feels like they're in the scene together, even though they're not. It was perfect. Uh, it was, that was my comment. I actually drew the split screen in my notes because I think it was so well done. And it was what I liked so much about it is I don't, I'm trying to remember if they actually cut apart at all they cut back and forth so most of it you're looking behind their head over their shoulder right i as i'm watching well and then they cut forward right i think most of it you're looking at their faces but it starts over their shoulders looking at the tvs right it just it cuts back and forth it's like just a two camera but i don't think at any point during that scene they ever show you it the individual actor alone only after she hangs up and turns her light off, and then even then, then jump. it doesn't stay. It's you're it looking at the dark face. right side of the screen, and his he is sitting there moaning alone. That's, that's genius. That is just genius. Which also was stolen from Rob Reiner. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just <laughs> oh. moaning. Yeah, that's just it's it's so perfect. And you know what always has struck me about that split screen. And it's the strangest thing to notice, but it's how perfectly aligned it is. Like even their pillows, like the point in the frame where there's the line. They match. His pillow and her pillow line up with each other. It's like, are you kidding me? How perfectly do you guys uh, set this? So it's it's done that way. It's just, it's amazing. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Mm, best last line of a movie ever. Mm. <laughs> Uh, the, the last, uh, I, I don't know. The last thing that I was, I had on my list were eyes. You can always see when there, when there's a great new dramatic awakening, uh, by their, by their eyes because yeah. they go wide eyed, owl eyed. Uh, and they're the first time is, uh, that you see this, this owl eyed, uh, effect where they're both in the same sort of space is first New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they dance cheek to cheek, right, and they at the end of that scene they're both sort of weirded out. Yeah, it's the first time they kind of have the realization that they both have feelings for each other that is beyond their friendship that they've just always thought was all was there. Right, right. And, uh, it's a great moment, and 
man, if that doesn't end perfectly the way that, you know, they kind of just like, you know, they can't, it's almost like there's that little snap out of it that yeah. Harry does where he's like, oh, happy new year. And, and they just go back to being friends, but right. that moment happened, you know, it was, it, it's such a soft moment. Uh, and then, so they get through new years. Uh, they, uh, let's see. So they, they have the hug on the porch. They go out. They introduce their friends. They have Ira, the Ira Sharper Image. Do you remember when Sharper Image was cool? <laughs> yes. Oh, those were oh, the days. So funny. That was a yeah. destination store. Yeah, it was. It was the uh, the high-end hangout at the mall. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, he meets Ira. They have their blow-up uh, baby fish mouth. And then they do it. Yeah, she the, gets right. the the notice that they're she finds out that Joe is uh um getting married. And by the way, we haven't even mentioned who who plays Joe. No, we have not. I didn't even know this. This was I thought this was quite an interesting little bit of trivia. Stephen Ford plays Joe. He is the son of President Ford. President that's <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean <laughs> It's like wow, I don't know. I, so I, funny. Is that what else was Stephen Ford in that I? Uh, I you know, I don't remember. even know. Was he, he was, you know, he was probably in Falcon Crest. <laughs> he doesn't. He just looks like a guy who would be in Falcon Crest. Not quite Dallas, but Falcon Crest. <laughs> uh, they should have made a show called Not Quite Dallas. <laughs> Great. Actually, I'm looking at his career. He was actually in. Uh, he was cast in the 1978 film Grease, but dropped out before filming was uh, replaced. He was, <laughs> That's in, he was in The Young and the Restless. Okay. Not quite Guiding Light, not, but not The quite. Young and the Restless. Okay. <laughs> and, and then he had a number of minor roles in, uh, sh- in movies such as Escape from New York, Babylon 5, Armageddon, Black Hawk, Hawk Down, Starship Troopers, Heat, Transformers, and Contact. Wow. Some oh, of those movies were awesome. He's quite the bit player. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that is interesting. Huh. So fascinating. Yeah. All right. Well, this movie, I, you know, we've been rambling. So we were talking rambling. Oh, what do you what do you got? Well, I was gonna say I, I had interrupted you because you were talking about big eyes and uh oh, I yeah, because off on a side uh, side little thing with uh with Joe there because you were talking about when they did it. No, big I'm glad eyes. you did. And then they had the he had the uh, Harry had the big eyes again, and that was that next sort of bit of kind of uh, uh, awareness, that next point of awareness. And and then the next day he gets up and leaves, and she has the big eyes when she realizes, uh oh, we're done. He's getting dressed, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know. And then the movie wraps up, and they they have that perfect perfect speech, the speech that, ugh, again another line I I've quoted way too many times. Uh, I love that you're the last person I want to talk to at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. I I love the, um, um, you know, because when you finally realize that, uh, that, uh, you know who the love of your life is. You want to get yeah. that life started right away. Oh, right it's that so moment. good. That's so good. Yeah. And there you go, Harry. Just like you, Harry, you say things like that and you make it impossible for me to hate you. And I hate you, Harry. I hate you. That I—that's another thing I love about that ending. Is 
she doesn't say I love you. It's I hate you, Ari. I hate you. I hate you. Yeah. <laughs> oh uh. God, it's just a beautiful, beautiful ending. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then, of course, I, what what is so great about it is, you know, he breaks the moment with a joke. What does this song mean? For my whole life, I don't know what this song means. And she totally picks it up. Well, maybe it just means we should remember that we forgot them or something. Yeah, that was great. It was great. I feel like we. I feel like you and I should be on the couch talking about this movie. The first time we ever saw this movie, we loved it, and then we hated it. And then we loved it. And then we loved it. <laughs> oh. Oh. oh, my goodness. Yeah. That is funny. That's good. Do you have anything else? Um, Let's see. We mentioned uh, all the wonderful actors who were in it. You know what we didn't do? And you uh, you are the one who always does this. Is the uh, We didn't talk about the stats. So it, mm. it was, uh, looks like the budget was, what, $16 million? It made... Just under a hundred. You need you need to have your special inside. I'm an insider website open, so you can talk about I, I'm, this. I'm opening it right now. You're right. You're right. I this know is you're your. Right. Th- you see, now it's out there. <laughs> see, we uh, can't end the show until it's done because now it's out there. <laughs> Ooh, it's out there. <laughs> what are we gonna do? <laughs> movie uh, movie came out July fourteenth, nineteen eighty nine. Running time yes. ninety six minutes. It's short. It was, uh, it was out there um, while we were while um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade was in theaters. Yes, indeed. Now they were, uh, you know, attracting different different markets. You know, I actually saw this in the theater with my girlfriend at the time. It was one of our, I think, it was one of the two great date movies that summer. It was this and Say Anything, as I recall. Oh wow! So, yeah, so I'm gonna talk about Say Anything's got to be our movies. some like a Valentine's Day bit. Yeah, we should do a a little um, Cameron Crow trilogy or something. Speaking of, okay, a footnote on Cameron Crow. You go ahead, then I'll tell you. Uh, theatrical performance, domestic box office, ninety two million eight hundred twenty three thousand five hundred forty six. Uh, so awards. It w- it did get um, some nominations. Uh, Nora Ephron received an Oscar nomination for this, as well as a WGA Award nomination for her script. She won the British Academy Film Award for Best Original Screenplay, and it was also nominated there for the Best Film. Mm-hmm. It was nominated for five Golden Globes and um, for all the, the major uh, awards. And it's been, you know, there's countless... Uh, websites and and um you know places like entertainment weekly bravo that put it on like you know their top 100 top 10 like romantic most romantic movies the funniest movies it's on a, it's uh, on fun- a couple of afi uh lists 100 years lists, 100 laughs it's on all and the I, lists and i think it got a uh one of the lists was you know funniest lines or something um, and that was for specifically the line we haven't even mentioned. I know. W- spoken by uh, Rob Reiner's mother in the film, I'll have what she's having. <laughs> Brilliant uh, line. Uh, now, uh, the way I understand it, the way that scene came together, this is another one of those rumor uh, busters, right? 
mm-hmm. because I I did not understand how this came together. The way I understand it, the original uh, way this film the the scene was supposed to have been scripted, it was just talking about faking orgasms, and uh, uh, it was Meg Ryan who right. was new to the to the shoot. She had convinced uh, Rob Reiner that she should have the role over uh, Molly Ringwald. Among other characters. Holly Ringwald, Susan Day. Susan Day, really? <laughs> it's like that was his yeah. first choice, really? Yeah, Susan was, Day. So he has yeah. some he has some judgment uh, issues, Rob Reiner, some character judgment. But he did. He, he, so Meg Ryan gets the role, and it was her idea to fake it, right? And it was Billy Crystal who came up with the legendary line and gave it to the mother. Right, exactly. And and a little extra note about that scene that uh, he talks about on the uh, the audio commentary. Meg Ryan did it a couple times, and it wasn't she wasn't quite getting it as big as uh, he wanted it to. She seemed to be kind of holding back a little bit. So Rob's like, "Here, let me show you what I mean." So he sits down and he does it. He does this incredible, like crazy orgasm scene where he's pounding the table. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Billy Crystal said he was sweating so much across from him, and I can't remember who he said he looked like, but just uh, just horribly just awful and sweaty. And he looked like somebody who had just eaten like really spicy um, Thai food or something like that. And so Rob, so Rob Reiner looks at Meg uh, and says, you think you got it? She's like, oh, yeah, I can do that now. And then <laughs> Rob Reiner turned and he realized he's just like, he realized that his mother is sitting at the next table and he's just realized that he's just doing this orgasm scene in front of his mother. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's great. That's uh, you know, the things we, the things we never knew. I, uh, I, I love that. That's a legendary scene. Legendary. Scene. It is legendary yeah, line. Uh, I, uh, what else? Uh, what else is on your list? Your big list of things to, tell us oh let's see i think you know i think that uh, we pretty much hit everything i think it was just a, a fantastic film fantastic cast just such a great story it's it's one of those ones that uh that we can go back and watch anytime and just still uh relive the magic from it you know it's just a beautiful it's a beautiful love story um and I think it's beautiful because it's it's uh, kind of a messy love story, you know. It's it's friends, it's you know men and women and their um, inability to completely figure each other out. Um, the but there's that constant attraction, and uh, you know I don't know. It's just a fantastic film. I love it. It is. It is. Uh, it is a movie that stands up every bit today as it did the day it came out. Uh, yeah, it's it's one that just you know even I've been sitting there with my wife of going on who knows how many years thirteen years, and uh, and I it, I'm watching it and I literally reach over to hold her hand like mm-hmm. we were seeing it for the first time on on a first date. It was it it's a very special uh, feeling that you get with this movie. Uh, yeah, it's very it's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I just have two uh, two other little links, and we can put these in the in the show notes that I thought were really interesting this week, and I meant to say at the beginning of the show, and I forgot. The first one is: uh, Did you uh, see? Do you watch the Daily Show? No, not not in any right. 
way where I could say that I uh, uh, regularly view it. What's his name? Uh, Will Hunting. What's his name? Matt Damon. Matt Damon was on uh, was on a Daily Show, and it's worth watching because he talks about the his new movie. Uh, you know, bought a zoo, I bought a zoo, or we bought a zoo. Oh, this this is your Cameron. This Crow is a Cameron Crowe thing. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, and and I had always thought, you know, this movie's so weird. You know, why would anybody make a movie like this? It looks kind of weird. Why is Matt Damon in it? And then you see the credits, and it says, oh, you, you know, uh, this is a Cameron Crowe film. Oh, well, right. suddenly I need to see it. And and I had that feeling. I remember having that feeling. And he, he goes on Daily Show, and Stewart, John Stewart, has the exact same reaction. And he talks through the entire uh, plot. Damon talks through the entire plot. Yeah, we, you know, there was money exchanged for a zoo. We bought a zoo. It's a family thing. Oh, by the way, it's a Cameron Crowe movie. John Stewart's like, oh, oh well, that's one we need to see then. Uh, and it's a it's a good interview, and it kind of uh, it, you know it's it's funny. It still doesn't necessarily nail why um, why I really am going to want to see this movie beyond the fact that it's a Cameron Crowe film, right, and there right. isn't a movie that that guy's done that I have walked away saying no, I don't like it. Uh, and the second one is a great article from uh, the Times with Daniel Craig, um, who is you know he's. Uh, uh, got Mikhail the, uh, yeah, he's got the uh, dragon tattoo thing going on. Uh, but he talks about something that really stuck out for me, um, which was uh, Quantum of Solace. Yeah. Did you, did you see this See this bit? I, I, Have you seen I this quote? I didn't see the article. I didn't see it. Uh, okay, so... Um, so it, let's see. Uh, I'm going to read just a bit, and we'll have to post, uh, post the link. Um Question. It seems that the script is sometimes an afterthought on huge productions. Uh, and Craig says, yes, and you swear that you'll never get involved with uh, expletive like that. And it happens. On Quantum, we were effed. We had the bare bones of a script, and then there was the writer strike, and there was nothing we could do. We couldn't employ a writer to finish it. I say to myself, never again, but who knows? There was me trying to rewrite scenes, and a writer I am not. Question, you had to rewrite scenes yourself? Me and director, Mark Forster, were the only ones allowed to do it. The rules were that you couldn't employ anyone as a writer, but the actor and director could work on scenes together. We were stuffed. We got away with it, but only just. It was never meant to be as much of a sequel as it was, but it ended up being a sequel, starting where the last one finished. Uh, It was a massive commercial success, though, so it wasn't a failure in that sense. No, quite. Thank God it worked, and it worked like gangbusters. But for me personally, on a level of feeling satisfied, I would want to do better next time. That's really important to me. Wow. Uh, that, and then he did Cowboys and Aliens. And then he did Cow- <laughs> Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it, and I have zero uh, interest. In oh, I'm one. totally going to see it. I'm going to see it, and then I'm going to call you immediately. The uh, I I feel I'm very excited for Skyfall, the next Bond, and and it sounds like he is too, which is uh, which is good. Yeah. What What was your take on Quantum of Solace? Not that we're talking about that. No, today. we're not, because we've sworn not to do Bond uh, at all. Uh, but I quite not because we don't like Bond. But just yeah, because... no, I I thought it opened exceedingly well. I really liked the the opening, say half hour, and then it kind of deteriorated. You know, I just watched it again for a second time, and I found myself liking it a lot more. Did you like I it think... as as much as a uh, crystal Not skull? Not as much as as uh, <laughs> crystal skull. <laughs> oh, well, I I like it a lot more than crystal skull. That's great. <laughs> Yeah, so it's right. practically Oscar worthy, right? 
I I'll need to watch it again. I I uh, but I just I the beginning of it is really vivid to me, but the the rest of it sort of fades away. I'm not I I I'm not as crazy about the the uh, you know hydrogen powered hotel in the desert. You know, I wasn't either when I first saw it, but this time when I watched it, I don't know. It, it just seemed to work a lot more for me. Right. Uh, it, I don't know. It was. I thought it was kind of interesting, and okay. I liked. I, I didn't like it the first time that you know the whole thing was all about you know, ooh, this big company that's stealing water. It seemed so uh, kind of just meek for a Bond film. Mm. Um, but when I watched it again, I'm like, you know, that's actually really kind of. Uh, genius because it's it's almost um more uh there's more power i think to somebody controlling water than there is to somebody you know stealing all of the world's gold or something so i i i think that i kind of you know bought into it a little more yeah that's interesting that's and you feel like people can get away with stealing water because it's sort of a meek resource Mm -hmm. gold is much more standoffish makes you want to steal it Yes. It's water. He just takes the water. What is you take <laughs> you it, you think... drink it, you piss it out. What do I care? <laughs> no, that's enough. Of, uh, enough. It's it's late. Yes, yes. It was lovely. You know, we haven't even figured out what we're talking about next. Um uh, maybe I don't know, maybe we should leave it as a surprise. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms, but in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs>